looking to stand out from the crowd? Are you looking for exclusive content you can't get anywhere else? Sign up for the shoulder of Orion Patreon at bladerunnerpodcast.com slash support and show the world you're something special. The following audio entertainment is brought to you by the kind folks at Tyrell Corporation, reminding you that civil registration isn't just common sense, it's the law. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Patrick and Dan. And today we are here to uh, discuss replicants. And this is a, an episode we've been talking about for a few months now. Um, not really publicly. This is something we've been talking about privately. It's an, it's something that's come up for me as I have been, I guess, looking deeper into what replicants are and having read that opening scroll in, from 2019, hearing the, seeing the word robot, and then hearing the word manufactured again. And it really made me think kind of what? are replicants really what are they because i'd sort of been under this a little bit of this romantic idea that oh they're they're essentially human and whatever and uh like even as we've had those conversations around the the scene where rachel goes over to to deckard's house and that controversy and what is she and people called her a, a washing machine and of course i was appalled and we you know we had various or varying discussions about who she is and what she represents and all of these things. And then a couple months ago, I was reading the word manufactured again. And I was like, wait a minute, if these things aren't grown in a womb and they're manufactured from parts, they're not really human. And it's flipped how I view them. And I wanted to explore it more. And obviously Patrick and Dan were like, hey, let's talk about it. So here we are to discuss why, what might be one to three episodes of uh, of this topic. So I'm excited to be here. Uh, yeah, for sure. Me too. And I'm sure Patrick. I, I mean, this is like we've been talking officially about doing an episode on this maybe for just a couple of months. But as an idea and as a concept, talking about the physicality of the evolution and manufacture of replicants that's been something that's been talked about for a long time before we came around on the you know on the websites on the blogs on facebook we've talked about it a lot because we have talked a lot about the philosophy of sort of you know more human than human what makes a human what makes something different for you know and and, and these very real concepts especially in 2021 we're talking about a world that is getting closer and closer to human cloning and creating um, androids or robots that are more and more lifelike and more and more human-like. So all these things, as Philip Dick predicted and as we expected by now, um, are becoming more and more contemporary and more real. You know, when they made the robot Sophia, I think was her name, right in in the Middle East, somewhere in the UAE or Saudi Arabia, and you know, it's like Saudi Arabia, yeah, and like they gave her citizenship, and she was in the commercial with um, Tomas Marquis and all that. Yeah, I mean, these are things that I think people have been thinking about for a very long time, but we've always leaned on 
the sort of benefit and strength of the Blade Runner script and film and films um, that Ridley Scott and the writers, Hampton Fancher and David Peoples, sort of always leaned on the strength of ambiguity to allow, even when they had their own ideas about things, um, to allow the reader and the viewer to sort of make up their own mind. And so we very famously, along with Paul Salmon and, and Charles and uh, you know many writers and, and people who are involved in Blade Runner fandom, we've always appreciated and respected this ambiguity that we see everywhere. At the same time, it leaves a lot of questions, right? And while we've discussed Decorep back and forth and talked about the philosophy of that, something that we've never really tackled specifically is um, what evidence is there about how replicants are built, manufactured, created, you know, their evolution, what came before, etc. And what our conjecture could be. So I think what we're going to talk about is what's in the script and what's actually in the lore. And then, you know, what we think eventually we'll we'll end up asking our listeners kind of what they think. So yeah, I'm really excited to do this because we've kind of tiptoed around it and we're what, 85, 90 something episodes into this uh, podcast so far. And we really have never touched on this as an entire topic. So I'm really curious to see kind of where your guys' heads go. And then we'll we'll get some listener feedback and find out uh, what the fans are thinking of. Um, Patrick, what are your initial thoughts? It, well, like everything else in Blade Runner, uh, this is the, the re- part of the reason why this is ambiguous is because it's evolved so much. You know, like the the movie was never originally supposed to be about replicants. The replicants kind of became the film as the film was being made. I really think, and I think there's a lot of evidence for that in a lot of places, but no more so than what Hampton Fancher did with the source material, right? And we're I'm sure we'll get into this more in depth shortly, but. In Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, which of course has androids in the title of it, right? The androids in that are much more clearly utilitarian implements. They are much less, you know, soulful. They are much more commoditized, right, than than the replicants that we end up getting out of them. Um, and that was in service of the book that Dick was writing. It was in service of understandings of artificial intelligence at the time, you know, which was quite a while before the film was made. But it was also just, a, it wasn't about them, right? It, it was it was more about, it was more about Deckard as a character in that book and his journey. Um, and then you, it comes to somebody like Hampton Fancher, who of course reads it and has a very different takeaway from it and starts building the script out, right? And, and in Hampton Fancher's script, though, we don't even have the replicants yet. We don't get those until David Peoples comes in and talks to his daughter and has the famous conversation that you can read all about in Future Noir, right? And then before you know it, this idea of replication, of replicant, of nexus, this starts, all these terms that we now take for granted start materializing, right? And then and then Peoples and, and Ridley Scott start going back and forth and going back and forth. And then this notion of a replicant really starts to form itself in the script. Um, and what you end up with is something that I don't think any one of those people necessarily intended to do. It just sort of started to be become this concept and then of course as the film was made they had to start working it narratively into these things like how realistic are these portrayals supposed to be should it be clear that they are you know that they are non you know organic or in fact as we find out in the work print that they actually are organic right all of these wonderful things start getting batted around and then you have the actors come in and bring so much humanity to them right because as as we say so much it's boring the most human elements in this thing are by and large the replicants um, and then it's it's even more confusing because then it's like what then then what's the difference between us and and that brings us to now, right? Thirty five years, almost forty years late, Jesus, almost forty years later, um, having conversations about about them and about us, and that's the beautiful mystery of this of this universe. Um, 
and I do, I specifically want to spend time, I'm sure we'll get to the work print in a bit, but that to, to me, like the, what, what, what emerges in the, in the intro role for the work print is probably the most cohesive definition in terms of structure of what a replicant is, because they have an actual like in-universe dictionary definition of it. Um, but other than that, it's very much left open to uh, supposition and, and, you know, for us to kind of invent our own, use our imagination to, to imagine. And of course, we will talk, um, especially in the next episode, about 2049 more in depth and about what that does or doesn't add to our conceptions of, of, you know, Nexus models that we get out of the first film. But anyway, all this is to say that replicants are incredibly magical um, elements of this universe and, and and in many ways, the most iconic elements of it. And yet um, in typical Blade Runner fashion, perhaps the least clearly laid out of any of the major components of this, of this film. So yeah, I, I'm uh, I'm excited to talk about it with you guys. It's interesting that they left it ambiguous. Like they they didn't have to, but they did. Um, but before we continue that, I want to read the opening scroll for 2019. Early in the 21st century, the Tyrell Corporation advanced robot evolution into the Nexus phase, a being virtually identical to a human, known as a replicant. The Nexus 6 replicants were superior in strength and agility and at least equal in intelligence to the genetic engineers who created them. Replicants were used off-world as slave labor in the hazardous exploration and colonization of other planets. After a bloody mutiny by a Nexus 6 combat team in an off-world colony, replicants were declared illegal on Earth under penalty of death. Special police squads, Blade Runner units, had orders to shoot to kill upon detection any trespassing replicant. This was not called execution. This was called retirement. Um, of course, the you know legendary, now legendary opening scroll to Blade Runner, which essentially sets up the world. Um, but, you know, keywords, robot evolution into the Nexus phase, um, which there's a lot to discuss there. We don't really know. We don't really know. I mean, we do know that replicants are biologically engineered, but we don't know that they still they could still host actual synthetic parts, whatever, whatever it could be, um, that maybe decay as they do, as they grow older. Some don't. Um, maybe they're biologic, maybe they're, there are robotic parts that are synthetic. So again, that when the replicants get older and age, so do those parts. That's how they're engineered. Um, there's so much there that we don't know. Um, and the idea that these things are manufactured really is the conundrum for me. Um, and it begs so many questions. How do you get a personality out of something you manufacture? How do you wake that shit up? Um, what wakes it up? Uh, let's just take God out of the equation. You're, you know, you're taking, you know, sexual procreation out of the equation. None of that's happening. You're, you're assembling these things, whichever way. We don't know how they do it, but we do know they are assembled, evidenced by the guy who does eyes, by J.F. Sebastian. So That's you have all not of these... so fast. I, I will posit that they are created, but we're going to have to get through this discussion to talk about the difference between assembly and manufacture and cloning and all of that. I think everything you said is super rich and there's a lot there to break down. So I just, I don't want to jump to any conclusions yet. Cause I think this is all. What do you mean? Jump to any conclusions about what? That they are assembled. I don't think that's a foregone conclusion, but and I'll talk about that, but I just wanted to throw that in there. 
I think. Well, okay, but let's. Uh, we can talk about it. Finish I mean, your I thought, that, and then we can talk about. It. No, I mean I, that's basically I. My question, and I would, you know, it, it's the same question I have for Avatar. What the fuck is that thing in the machine, and how did you, how did you have, how did you make that that thing without it having its own personality? How did you make it essentially a living creature with no, that's dead, waiting for a, some type of spiritual host? So that question I would ask: How do they? assemble slash manufacture a replicant that is then has this strange personality where does these and for me that question throws all of it on its head that question to me these are not human things they might look like us but they are not us um i i and yeah that's i can't even get over it i, I can't get over that conundrum okay so again there's a lot in what you said, and I of course and we're going to explore all of that. So I want to just rewind just a second because I have a lot of deep thoughts on this, and I want to get to Patrick and everything. Let me let me read a couple. Well, you don't have to. You don't have to like. We can just talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 for sure. I, I just yeah. Let me let me read a couple of things to kind of uh, illustrate the background of what you're talking about, and then we can we can move forward into it. Um, here is part of the crawl um, or part of the text at the beginning of the work print, which we know is, and, and I'm going to be mixing here sort of final cut and final film in its various iterations and also scripts that did not make it into the final film. So not all of it is necessarily canonical made it into the final film, but in terms of the discussion of um, the physicality and manufacturer replicants, I think it's relevant. So here's what the work print said at the beginning. If you go uh, watch the work print, which is you can find as part of the five disc collection. There's various uh, versions. Uh, replicant. See also robot. Antique. Android. Obsolete. Nexus. Generic. Synthetic human with paraphysical capabilities. Having skin flesh culture. Also. Rep. Skin job. Slang. Off-world uses. Combat. High-risk industrial. Deep space probe. On-world use prohibited. Specifications and quantities, information classified. Then I'm going to read a, a little definition from a script that was not a final script. But I just wanted to note out of that paragraph, interesting, the use of the word on world, which I think this is the only place I've seen that used. We see off world and we see Earth and sometimes even Mars mentioned, I think, in the, in the novel Mars is mentioned. But I've never seen the use on world uh, anywhere, which I think is kind of funny and doesn't really fit anything. So I'm glad that it wasn't used anywhere else. Well, and, and I, I do want to unpack the work print stuff too. But sure, sure. When, when you're when you're done, sure. If you have more stuff to read, you can I, I have what I just yeah. I don't I don't want to get into too much. Yeah. Br780, which is an abbreviation that you'll see if you look online. What that means is the Blade Runner script, July of 1980. There are several different versions of the script that you can find online. So this is pro. I'd have to look up the dates. I don't know if Peoples was involved by this point, because um, 79 is kind of the first time that um, Hampton Fancher started writing a, a, treat, a treatment for this. Uh, this is Deckard's Esper machine, which is talking out loud. So it has a verbal function. It says, replicants are third generation Nexus 6s constructed of skin flesh culture, selected energetic transfer conversion capable of self-perpetuating thought, paraphysical abilities, and developed for emigration program. 
So like that paragraph, for example, is something that doesn't make it into any version of the film, but it's still interesting to read about that. Of course, this manufacturer in any form was not researched or done in the interest of exploring the the philosophical ramifications of being a human. It was done for a purpose so that we could build slaves essentially to do these off-world jobs. So let's, I know we don't forget, but I'm saying let, let's keep in mind that this is all from the point of view of like a corporation who has done this for a purpose to make money to, to get things done. Um, because, you know, and of course we'll get into philosophy, but you know, we've explored a lot of the philosophy throughout our series in the podcast, but this is more specifically about all these details about what we're talking about, but Patrick, go ahead. Let's unpack some of it. Yeah. I, I, I want to go back to the work print thing for sure. th- that, that to me is so important because that was shown to audiences before the film came out, mm-hmm. right? Like that was already out there in the universe for a while before the movie was released. And be, after 2007 now is out there in all of our Blu-ray players too, as something that we have access to. Um, that was released originally without Ridley Scott's seal of approval. So who knows how he felt about that information being in there or not being in there. Um, but that is like huge because that, that that lays out a lot of very specific things. To me, the most important one being the fact that they mentioned a culture, right? Like an organic culture of skin and bone and flesh, which to me like tells you much of what you need to know about the way that they're manufactured, at least as I interpret that which is similar to like a bacterial culture. It's, you know, there's organic matter that is allowed to colonize and to, and to fill into some sort of like a lattice work of some kind. So just like, for example, when you have mice that, you know, can grow human ears on their back that can then be removed for some sort of a transplant, right? I, I interpret that to say basically that they're growing these things um, using cultured material into these biological synthetic organisms. Um but the work print is such an interesting beast because it's like it's it's this sort of semi-abandoned thing that was intended originally to be kind of the movie. Like when they were showing it to test audiences, that was like they were they were if the if it had done better than it had, which it did not do well, that would have been the movie that we got. Um, and then you look at what changes in the theatrical cut, and you know, it, obviously the opening scroll is completely different. Of course, in the work print, it's not a scroll; it's just a, a definition on the screen. But you got the opening scroll, which kind of recontextualizes a lot of stuff about the about the replicants. I said androids, um, and then you also get things like at the end when we find out that Rachel doesn't have a, a uh, she has an open-ended lifespan and things like that too. So uh, they play kind of fast and loose with the replicant mythology in the theatrical release of the film. And I think that could be part of what's so confusing to people because that's what most people saw for a while, you know. But um, yeah, I just wanted to go to, to to go. The work print to me feels like an important kind of missed because it's it's a gateway into what the movie was kind of originally supposed to look like. And because of that, um, it really shows where in 1982 because it was put out in 1982 to test audiences in Denver and elsewhere. That was where people's Fancher and Ridley Scott were like that was what their movie was looking like and and they were talking about it being a cultured organism i love the work brent it's my second favorite version of the film after the final cut um yeah and and i want to add that um the way this sort of like faux dictionary definition of replicant is written when they list robot and android um i think there's a purpose to that robot antique is sort of calling back to the fact that that's how this started meaning when robots were being manufactured they were mechanical um android saying that's obsolete that is a very i think that that has the hand of ridley scott in it because ridley scott's been quoted in several interviews saying he wanted to get away from the android and andy nomenclature of the book because he felt that it was too um 
there had been too much science fiction done already with the term android used. And so people had um, in their imagination already uh, preconceptions about what an android looks like, which, you know, most people would say an android is um, often a mix of biological and mechanical. It, it's sort of the trans, at least this is how I think of it. It's the transition between a robot and a organic humanoid right so it might have augmented parts and stuff like that but it's a mix of biological and mechanical parts and um yeah it's no coincidence i think that it says obsolete after andrew because ridley scott really wanted to get away from that name and then again they had this fantastic coincidence that david peoples was trying to find a better name for these things and then his daughter happened to be studying um, you know, biology, biochemistry, right? biochemistry, yeah, microbiology and biochemistry. And so she said, well, you yeah. know, cells replicate. What about something like that? And so he went from replicating to replicant. And that's where the name came from, which is really cool and iconic, obviously. And I just want to point out, though, that also, like, there's a reason why they went with that in particular, right? Which is that they were, it's that cell culture thing that I was talking about again, right? To, to, to my mind, when, when she suggested replicant, given her academic standing, like what she was studying at the time, she wasn't saying it like they're replicating us, like they're duplicates of, right. of normal humans. Right. She's saying they're replicants in that they're replicating ourselves and creating these things in a replicated process. So I, I've always kind of interpreted it like that, at least at least since I was exposed to the work print. Yeah, I think it has a double meaning, right? I think replicant yeah. as the term for a humanoid um, has the meaning that it is either an exact copy or or um, is able to mimic humans perfectly, so replicating humans, but also could have to do with their development in terms of cells, you know, doubling and tripling and, and replicating, and that's the way a lot of life forms. Um, so yeah, very interesting play on words there. Um, yeah, let's go back to Jamie. What what do you think about what? Well. Um, I don't know. I'm also thinking about, so we sort of, we come into the nomenclature here, especially in the film by Tyrell, sort of in the middle of this process, right? Where there's an obvious history to this that we're not really privy to, but Nexus 6 suggests that there was a whole series of Nexus before that. Um, or that Nexus was introduced at the fifth or sixth level and that the other levels before that were not Nexus, but they were something else. Um, I, I can't help but I, I always, even though I know the universes aren't connected, and I've talked about it before on here, I always think about the line from the first Terminator where Kyle Reese is describing these new infiltrator units, the T-800 Terminators, right? And he's saying, you know, before that, it was easy to tell them apart. Rubber skin, you know, they didn't look like humans. And he said this new iteration, they had, you know, real skin, blood, sweat, bad breath, all of that, which we can assume replicants have all of that as well. Um, or it makes me think of the lore in isolation, right? And the, and the, is it Seegerson or Seeger? What's the Seegson? Seegson, yeah, thank you. Seegson. Originally Seeg and Son. Yeah. If you read all, all of the computer terminals, right, right. but it becomes Seegson, yeah. So Seegson, uh, which is in Alien Isolation, the video game, right? Which we've talked about before, has these androids that are very, the working Joes that are very like, rubber skin and light up eyes and are very obviously not human. And so You're being hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Which I still think is a, uh, such a ironic name. The working Joe. Later on, Joe. Joe yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's, yeah. let's make sure we circle back to ice. Cause, cause the three of us had a cool conversation after we stopped recording a couple weeks ago and, and isolation came out. I think we should, let's like, try to get back around to that somehow. Sure. In this sure. Conversation. Well, I mean, I think the, the next 
portion or the next question I would have was to be to back this up a little bit. So they're saying the replicants are the next phase in Android or robot evolution. Um, evolution. So you could suggest that there are droids with some type of biologically engineered skin or component to them that they pushed it further. They thought, okay, let's let's do this without any of that or without any of that being as obvious as it was. Um, so it's there, it's likely that within the world of Blade Runner, you could find several different models, Tyrone totally. models of of whatever these things end up being, which is a replicant later on. Right. Um, yeah, excellent point. If you walked around in that world, you would be able to see these past iterations because just like right now, there's cars from all kinds of decades before us when new things are manufactured the company doesn't go out and pull all the old ones, right? So you would have, unless, right. unless they're deemed dangerous and there's a recall, so to speak, you would be able to find, so they just happen to, we don't see them in the film, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist, right? Well, we do see them. I, I want to go back Ooh. for a moment. We do, if, 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 uh, if the people reading the comics know this, and the comics are canonical because they're, they're made by the, mm-hmm. you know, part of the creative team that makes the films. Uh, so the Nexus 4s are in, in the free comic book day comic, um, and they commit a murder, and that's a big reason why there are some behavioral inhibitors and things that get put in later. So they're actually, the previous Nexus generations were there. It didn't just kind of start, you know, with the sixes. Um, and they were um, successively iterated upon to get to the point we're at. But the, the original ones, I would imagine, are probably much more like Working Joes. They're much more synthetic, right? But it's interesting. I, I, I don't want to veer off in like a weird direction, but whatever. I, I think it's interesting that we chose to make them exactly like us. There's something very bizarre about that. Just from, even from a usability, from like a user experience design standpoint, if you're going to build something, like make it clearly in, uh, what it's used for, like make it a, a product, right? Like it's, it's, it's strange to me. And I think partly ties back to the novel. It's strange to me that we ended up making things that were so much like us that even over these successive generations, it became harder and harder to tell apart until you get to the Nexus 9s, which have all the inhibitors in, right? I think that there's something really uh, strange about about that. And I think it's probably um, because uh, people were lacking human connection and people were lacking companionship. And if they wanted to have a pleasure model, they wanted it to feel like a real human. If they wanted to have... Uh, a warrior they wanted to pretend that humans were fighting on their behalf or something I, I i just feel like that's something that doesn't get talked about like what was the point of making them i mean honestly from even from a from a uh like just a logistical standpoint they're running around with these people who are, whose lives are consisting entirely of just hunting down and terminating these replicants right like it would make their life a lot easier if these things had like red lights on their heads or something right right, right? like and, well, and yet it, we don't right well i want to break down your previous statement i think it makes sense because because i was thinking about it like logically and logistically why would you want to make these things that are identical to humans right because of all the problems of them escaping and being stronger more intelligent etc well like you said i agree with you that when it comes to a pleasure model that makes sense right to be able to create a pleasure model that is identical to a human obviously would have a huge market, right? Um, I don't know that I agree that they would necessarily want to create um, an identical human version for a soldier model, for example, which is something that you're not really going to see, right? Combat that's happening off world is not something that's happening in your backyard. But if you include the complications of logistics and, and manufacture and development and all that, it would make sense that 
the more streamlined and simplified it is, the easier it will be for them to manufacture them. Ergo, it would probably all have that characteristic of becoming more and more human. That's I guess, but but also like, but the pleasure models aren't even like the plurality of the replicants that are being manufactured. Like most of the I, I and, and my, the way I look at Blade Runner, most of the replicants were combat models because they were waging. They you know the ones that weren't off doing mining and shit off world were probably engaged in territorial disputes and combat, and you know they were hired personal security for people traveling off world and things like that. I think pleasure well, models yeah. were like a big a big niche, but I, I don't think it's I, I to me that's still one of the strangest aspects of this whole thing is that like it would have been very easy even. If you, I mean, if you manufacture something, say, say you know, Samsung makes a smartphone that looks like an iPhone, and they want to avoid a patent dispute with it, you know, they'll put like like a, a strip on the bezel around it or something, and it'll look different enough that it won't get in trouble. Like, it wouldn't have been that hard to make combat models have, I don't know, glowing eyes or something. Like, there's not like a huge gulf there between that, and it's and and I I, I do think that there is a reason for it though. Like, I, I think that there are philosophical reasons behind it, but from a utilitarian well, I think that there perspective, are. there's not. I think actually what comes to mind is the conversation David has with Holloway in Prometheus. Um, and he's like, why are you putting a helmet on? And he's like, they made me to look like you so you'd be more comfortable. That's yeah. a good point. Um, yeah. And I think that part of it, but I also think they, they made them human because it's cheaper to cast a human than it is to build a robot. You know, like if they're going to make a movie about this, if say, say for instance, the replicants weren't, human looking or they were part robot or whatever they'd have to build that and shoot it in the 80s that's very true but they're also it's easier to but this concept was created in the novel in the novel physically no but yeah but but we're talking about i mean i'm just i'm just talking about what i've experienced in terms of the movie why do they look like humans but also i mean another point to this is why are they gendered Except for the pleasure models, I can understand. Why would you fucking gender one of these things? Don't gender them. Like, that's one of the issues that I had with Raised by Wolves was you had these androids, which clearly had genital areas. I'm like, for what? For what? Um, and for me, or to me, replicants having gender seems like if they're slaves, who gives a shit? You know, like give them a cloaca or something. You know, give them like a, a or, or something so that they can you know, whatever, or even engineer them so they don't need to eat that well, much or whatever. Okay, but but hold on. Okay, so let's back up for a second. Pris and Zora are obviously gendered for a reason. They were pleasure. They were both pleasure models at one point. Um, certainly, no one's going to mistake uh, Leon for a woman. He's very feminine. Zora very. was not a pleasure model originally. Yes. She was she was originally designed as a prostitute and then got reprogrammed. She oh, that's reprogrammed. right. Or maybe, or maybe I'm thinking right. of maybe thinking of Beauty and the Beast. Am I thinking of it the other way around? Was she originally Kick Murder Squad and then reprogrammed as a pleasure model? I can't remember, but she did both. I don't know. Either both, way, yeah. it would have made sense for her to be in a female. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Shell body, you know. Look, um, Leon is certainly masculine looking. Roy is certainly masculine, but it's not like you see his genitals or anything like that. I mean, I, I, I could see a slightly different version of the film where he was cast uh, by, let's say, David Bowie played him or something like that. He could be a little more androgynous. So I don't necessarily think that they're 
Well, I don't know. The, the gender comment is interesting. I, I, I didn't think about it specifically that way. I think there's space for some of these replicants to be sort of uh, gender neutral, while others, they obviously have a specific target market and target audience, and so they, they are specific. But you're right. Like As a soldier, what does it matter? If they have the physical and mental capability to get the job done, what do we care whether these soldiers you know, have a female physique or a male physique or what? We, we wouldn't, right? They would be more androgynous and and to your point in raised by wolves they are a little more androgynous at least a little bit well yeah and i also think that one reason why you would make replicants or androids or whatever look human um is because humans historically have a hard time with things that look different from them sure um they do and so what do you do you make like david said you make them comfortable so you you're making um and maybe they're mass produced, but you're more comfortable with a, a, a woman cleaning your house than you would be with some type of uh, droid with black, you know, with I mean, look at things coming out of look them. at any of the Boston Dynamics robot videos, whether we're talking about the really creepy original ones or the more advanced ones they have now. Like, have you seen the new ones of them dancing? Mm-hmm. None, of, <laughs> yeah. none of those things give me a warm and fuzzy, comfortable feeling, right? Like, no, they're freaky. Yeah, they're freaky. They're terrifying. I don't <laughs> really want those things delivering my boxes or teaching me how to dance yeah. or whatever the fuck. Like, so yeah, un- until you realize that there's a liability and a problem with these things blending in perfectly with humans, I think blending in makes sense. Like you said, all the customers are more comfortable. Um, it, I think without extrapolating too much, there's also a benefit to being able to send out um, like we've seen in the alien world, right? With Ash and Bishop, basically an undercover replicant who fits in and all the humans around him think they're human until something happens or they escape or they're killed or whatever. Um, So there's definitely lots of ramifications and lots of reasons that to certain people, there may be a benefit to them looking like humans. Um, but it's interesting to note that even the Nexus 9s are extremely realistic humanoid, even though post-blackout, but I know we're not talking 2049 at the moment, but but even even after after the whole great reckoning of replicants, right, where they can only then be manufactured with very specific parameters and blah, 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 be very controllable, be very identifiable, supposedly, they still look completely, they're just more muted, but they look totally like humans. They just sort of act like they're somewhere on the spectrum, a little, to me at least, a little bit, um, like almost like they're kids with some sort of Asperger's or something because they're in the ways that they interact with each other. Um, but they look completely normal, like they would pass in any context, you know? Um, not to say people with Asperger's aren't normal, but my point being that they're, that it's just, they're, they're hard to spot, right? Um, and that's, I think, the, uh, the, that's what's so fascinating to me, is that, like, they had the chance. I mean, the replicants broke the industrial world apart for a, a period of time in the 2020s in this universe, right? Um, and yet when they rebuilt them again, they, they made them just as hard to find as they ever had before. So my, my reason for going into that is I think it actually sheds a lot of light on the manufacturing process behind these things. Um, I don't think it's necessarily cheaper or harder to make it any more or less humanoid. Um, I think it's more the, again, that, that these are grown from like living tissue, that these are grown from DNA probably. These are grown, I mean, they, if it's living tissue, it has DNA, right? I think that the reason why they have, person, to a degree, the reason why they have personalities and hairstyles and senses of humor and all of these idiosyncratic things that make us us is because they came from us. They were created from us. I think they were created from human subjects, essentially. Um, I would buy that possibly they were grown 
unless if we hadn't been introduced to to um the people responsible for certain parts of them well um like the eye guy or whatever one thing that we're not or we'll probably discuss more is not only are these things human-like they're also endowed with 10 times their strength they're incredibly strong incredibly powerful things um so we're not just creating these workhorses that look like us and maybe they're gendered and whatever they're a pleasure model or they work you know in the mine or whatever they're also really strong so they have the capability of ripping us limb from limb um and i think it's the psychology behind that is fascinating that we but we are but we do that anyways as humans we build we build um machines that can manufacture that can make homes that can do all sorts of things but we're we're comfortable with that because you know they're not that's not going to kill us or harm us unless someone actually goes to it the the um man or the the console and moves it so there's an accident or it looks like an accident or something goes awry um instead they thought oh no let's just put all of that energy and all of that power into this thing um it's just interesting and then when that same thing turns on them they're like oh my god like but you you built it this way you built it this way um i I don't know i it's just one of those things that's it's I can't get my head around it. I was going to read one last thing. This is Blade Runner 281. So February 81. So we're getting into the later iterations of the script before we got into the final. Um, Bryant tells Decker that they did an autopsy on the replicant fried trying to break into the Tyrell core. They did not realize that it was a replicant until three hours into the autopsy, suggesting that the replicant's internal anatomy is similar to that of humans. I find that paragraph super interesting because it's not like they said the specifics of what they found, although it's very obvious that if you're digging through a body for three hours, there weren't any gears or obvious tubes or mechanical things, sort of the way like when Ash breaks open an alien and there's like, you know, white blood and tubes and all kinds of things like that, pneumatics. Um, But at the same time, they didn't choose to say their anatomy was identical to that of a human and we found a serial number or we found a red light or we found whatever, right? They just say it was similar and it took us three hours to realize that there was something different. And again, it's left ambiguous. We don't know what that different thing is. Now, again, well, three hours, it must be pretty fucking similar. Right? If it takes them three hours, sure. not autopsy. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, again, this is not canonical essentially because it's an earlier version of the script. So it didn't make it into the final narrative uh, or voiceover or into the film, but I thought that was interesting, but yeah, I, I, you know, I, I wanted to get back to you guys on things that we've touched on and kind of ask you guys what you've thought about in the past and what you're thinking of now, but um, based on what we know and your own conjecture, how do you think replicants are, made, created, manufactured, whatever word you want to use. Uh, you know, uh, it's interesting. I like the mystery that we don't really fully know. Um, of course, I know jumping to 2049, you see the thing fall out of the, the plastic bag, much like things are packaged in manufacturing plants. Um, I, th- I think a little bit of, of it might be what I've seen in Westworld, where you see these the, the machines making the strands, something like that. Like 3D printing um, almost. 
Yeah, but I think each person has their own specialty where maybe this, these things are genetically 3D printed and then all of it comes together eventually. Um, and then it is released or it is awoken or whatever. Um, actually, and I hope they never show us how they are actually made. That's really, it's an interesting thing. It's, 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 it's like the space jockey. I don't really know if I want to know. I think the mystery of that is, is, uh, is powerful. Um, but I, I definitely, definitely, it is an assembly line of sorts. I mean, you're talking, there's thousands of these things for 2019 at least if not hundreds of thousands but in in the original film certainly by 2049 there's probably millions he says that there's millions i think um so yeah i i think it is definitely an assembly line there are people in there probably in doctor slash hazmat suits or whatever they wear and these things are made to order they're made for off-world whatever um or whatever um whatever kind of work needs them or whatever contractor says, Hey, this is what we're doing. And this is what we need. Um, and the more I think about replicants, the more abominable they seem to me, honestly. Um, uh, and wow. I, and that's I think, a, that's yeah, a hot take. what do you mean? <laughs> well, because like you're creating this thing that looks like us. I don't know where its personality comes from. Um, you're, you're making it work. You're making it do all of these things. I don't really know. Do you have ownership over that? I would imagine you do. I mean, as much as you have ownership over your child, right? Until they're 18, they're, they're yours. I mean, they're certainly their own person, but so, and the, and they're, they're also weapons because they're incredibly powerful and strong. So they're a danger. So you're creating these things there. I'm not saying like abomination. They should, I'm not even saying that, but it's like, the more I think about it, the more it's like playing God. It's like, and you're making these things to do the dirty work. You, they look like us. They guess they have feelings, but we don't really know. I guess they kind of can develop their own feelings, but we don't really know if they really are developing their own feelings or they're just responding to their environment. Like what the fuck are these things? It's crazy to me. And, um, I still have a heart for like Rachel. I still like, she's a different step at the same time. I question like, what even is she? What even is Rachel? Like, was she who like, why, why did you do this? I don't know. I, I, I can't even get past that part right now. You were blowing my fucking mind tonight, Jamie. This is like not at all the direction I thought you were going to go with this conversation. Um, to, to me, I was actually just reading something that I think shed some light on this. I was reading Spider-Man with the kids, of course. Um, and there's a, a sequence in, we're reading the ultimate Spider-Man, the Brian Michael Bendis run from the early 2000s, where they're talking about, um, and actually Charles Xavier is in it, and he's talking about placentas and about what an incredible thing a placenta is. And it, as somebody who has seen at least two of them in my life, <laughs> I can tell you they're fucking crazy. Basically, they're like an organism within an organism that is created just to sustain this new organism's life. And they die, they physically die after birth. I'm not saying they're they're sentient, but they're organs that don't exist unless there's a baby to feed, and they come and they and they and they are created by the body to sustain and give life and nourishment, and then they die, 
um, which I think is is pretty astounding. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because uh, to me, the manufacturing process is basically identical to how babies are born, except there's no fucking, or maybe there is fucking involved at some point. So you think there's a womb? I think there's an artificial womb that they're born into. I I really do. Interesting. So you're talking about... uh a fetus or a baby, like a small. Yeah, I do. Okay. Right. Okay. I'm not saying that's a nine month gestation, take, but okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying like a nine month gestational period in like a, in like a woman, but I am saying that I think these are clearly the result of gene engineering of some kind. I think that they are essentially identical to, to humans, except for some serial numbers. Right. It's funny that in that, in that script from February of that year, Dan, that they uh, like they never just looked under the eye, right? Because clearly that like convention in the films hadn't come out yet that there's a serial number under there, right? Mm-hmm. It's funny. Like they would have just gone right to that in the autopsy. But I think that uh, like aside from that, or, or for example, in the certain the cervical architecture of Rachel, there's a serial number in 2049 too, right? Like but that, aside but from I think came later. That's the thing. That's a Nexus Eight and later uh, development. Oh, you're right. Okay, okay. So then that makes sense that they wouldn't have even been talking about it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. And so, who, how do they engineer a a serial number or whatever in an eye that glows green? Like, how do you do that in a biological creature without there being some type of tech in there to to make that happen? Yeah, I'll tell you how they do. How that do you shit. do that? I'll tell you how they do that shit, Jamie. I'm about to invent a fucking replicant tonight. Is what I'm about to do. <laughs> Listen, listen, you know, you know uh, so so here's what I would say to that. I would say, for example, glow, do you guys know what glowfish are? Mm-hmm. They're very cute. You can buy them in any, you know, aquatic store. They're usually danios. They're they're related to they're in the cichlid family from the Amazon. Uh, and they are basically when they're born, although there's other species that are involved too, it doesn't matter. They're born with this proprietary process, right? They're injected in in utero with a gene from a jellyfish that glows that's naturally bioluminescent and then as that fish matures that one little gene edit gets brought into the danio or whatever the species is and it ends up glowing for the rest of its life via gene engineering to my mind granted we're in a very different society in the world of blade runner right like this is clearly more advanced although in some ways it's not right by design but in terms of like genetic engineering and in terms of um space exploration, et cetera, it's very much farther along than we are in the same 2020 timeline, 2021. Uh, I think that they would have developed the ability to just inject very specific genes into these embryos that would allow certain things to happen. So like, you know, that are only bioluminescent under certain conditions. And for example, with an electron microscope, you know, you could have stuff that's implanted that uh, would, after like the embryo goes through the blastocyst phase and starts to actually grow and mature, reveal a serial number I, I could totally see that happening um i'm not saying i know how to do it because i'm not a fucking replicant engineer and they're not real but to but to me that's where they come from and i think that one i'll go a step further you know not every animal gestates the same amount of time obviously right you have turtles that gestate for like fucking 10 years or something and you have you know mice that gestate in, in a matter of weeks or however long they do right a- animals do this in different ways through gene engineering i would imagine they could eventually get to the point where they would have animals that could gestate more quickly be introduced into this you know this dna that they're encoding into these replicants and then eventually the gestation period is very quick almost like a manufacturing line and then i would see also 
that that would mean an accelerated lifespan because they're metabolizing so quickly and blah, 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 blah. So the four-year lifespan might have originally actually been basically just an incidental offshoot of the of their birthing process. And so I think it says a lot about them because like when we make, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole because I want to hear Dan's take on this too, but when we make kids, which is usually by fucking, right? Although you can do it in some other ways too. But <laughs> usually there's fucking. some usually there's some fucking pipe being laid somewhere in here, right? Um, we are basically selectively engineering who we want, and we're doing that obviously in some very overt ways because you you know now you can choose certain traits for your kids, which is kind of crazy. But even like for example, in meeting Micah, you know, I was attracted to her for very specific reasons because there were they, she had traits that I found attractive that I would love to see my kids have, right? Okay. So when we started doing it and kids started coming out, those kids had those 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 same traits and we basically engineered them even though we didn't do it like literally right so i think that there it's it's interesting the line at least as far as i see them between replicants and us is like so narrow it's crazy but i didn't think that really until preparing for this episode before preparing for this episode i was thinking more what you were saying jamie that they were basically assembled as as they are um, but now I'm thinking that would be really hard to pull off because then there would also be things like visible suture lines, I would imagine, or there would be like bone healing lines or something. I, it would, they, would, they would look different to, to me, I would think, but I don't know. See, Dan, what do you think? This is fascinating. This is like exactly what I wanted to get into because all three of us, I think, are going to have very different opinions, but we're also going to merge them and kind of discuss them through. So, so far, Jamie is more along the lines of like, assembly line sort of manufacturer of biological organic pieces somewhat at least so far you can change your mind i'm just saying that's kind of what you've laid out so far right yeah to some degree yeah. again evidenced by the guy who does eyes in the original sure. we saw all choo. those eyes you know right choo choo yeah yeah again I, I i i'm only trying to summarize what you've said so far you you can change your mind yeah. we can discuss yeah. it i just want to make sure i understood what you were saying and then patrick you're picturing more of a some kind of a bio womb situation with an actual baby, but the gestation process is accelerated so that you go from small fetus to full grown adult in let's say three months, a year, something like that, right? Like a faster right, process. Right, right. I would even say something like two weeks. Sure. I have a, I have a thought on Chew by the way. I'm going to bookmark that for when we come back around again. But I, that's a good point. Okay. That's a good point. And and then there's some genetic engineering involved. Let's leave the uh, nexus markings out of it for just a second. We can get, we can get back to that in, in, in a little bit. Okay. So here are my thoughts. Some of which I developed before this episode, some of which are just coming to me now. So I think there is an explanation. There are different conclusions we can come to even by seeing choose iLab, which originally when I first saw the films, it seemed impossible to come to any other conclusion that if this guy is contracted by Tyrell and he's making eyeballs, he's genetically engineering eyeballs, well then boom. Replicants are obviously assembled. Someone else is making dicks. Someone else is making feet <laughs> and hands and they're like, you know, Frankenstein put together or some other process. They're put in a bio bath or whatever, right? Like obviously there are other people like Chu. And then as I started thinking more about it and thinking about the genetic engineering, I thought, well, it's never really explicitly stated that Chu is, first of all, he's a very mom and pop shop if you think about it, right? 
when you think about the giant Tyrell Corporation, now sure he could be one of many hundreds of eyeball manufacturers, but that's not. The I think of him as like a contractor almost. Sure, he's a contractor. Like Stellini. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, right. But what right. I'm saying is, if the idea was that he was manufacturing eyeballs to then be somehow assembled into a replicant, he would not be the only one. He's it's not enough, right? Right. It's well, no, small, I'm sure there's tons. Right. There is another option though, and so my idea is that Chu is a genetic engineer. That's his lab. This is where he experiments on eyes. So he is creating genetic eyes, and he is messing with the gene sequences of them, which I hadn't even thought about this till now. This could also lead to how serial numbers are written into the eye, right? He's practicing with those genetics. But that doesn't necessarily 100% have to imply that replicants are assembled out of biological parts. I'm leaning more towards a combination of things like Patrick's idea where they're sort of there's some kind of womb or some kind of bio bath where but no fucking no fucking <laughs> I'll agree to that but there's genetic engineering going on and sequencing going on that is um, making these like skin flesh cultures and organs grow cohesively into a human and they can adjust those, these engineers can adjust those sequences and adjust those things, not necessarily in the products that they are assembling, quote unquote, but in the process before that. So as new designs are rolling out, people like Sebastian who does hands and Shu who does eyes are turning in their genetic work to the Tyrell Corporation. And then there are engineers there who are working to make it all cohesive and create a new biological iteration, which is what is could also be why you see things like third generation nexus sixes right and some of these unused script portions so the nexus six could be this concept of what we know which is a basically biologically identical to a human but no implanted memories and so sort of stunted emotional growth um but it could be that as these generations go along they are constantly improving and changing the genetics of them so who knows if that could lead to a future like i don't buy again i, I don't want to get too into 2049 because we'll probably have a separate episode about that but like i don't think someone etched um, or actually here i'll stick to 2019 i don't think someone etched a serial number into that snake scale right i think that somehow they were able to write into the genetic code that either that scale or a certain percentage of scales would grow with that number on them. Same as Rachel's bones. I don't think someone made a skeleton etched a serial number in it. And then sort of like in, um, uh, Westworld, then like assembled a biological body and then brought it to life. Right. I, I, that's not the feeling I get. I get the feeling that in a way that's impossible to us now and may never be possible. But again, that's why science fiction is so wonderful. Um, it's built into the genetic code that that particular bone or those particular cells um, form a structure that forms that particular serial number. And they figured out a way to engineer that just to specifically do that. Same way that they can do it later with the Nexus 8s and get this glow, which Patrick's example of the jellyfish genes is great because you could create, um, again, I don't think we have the technology for this, but creating genes that create a serial number, but then making it glow. Making a part of the body glow has 
already been done. That's not science fiction, right? They've, in fact, I think they did it even with a mammal and a jellyfish where they got like monkeys to glow in the dark by, in, by somehow um, giving them this jellyfish gene. It's too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also, like, they've done that with other animals using scorpion extracts, mm-hmm. too, which are only bioluminescent yes. under ultraviolet light, so, like, yeah. selective camouflage and shit, yeah. Right. Or, you know, there's also the idea that, even though they, of course, they don't talk about this in either film, um, 3D printing. Could these bodies be 3D printed? And there's actually, today, there are scientists and uh, people doing experiments 3D printing genetic material you're right ears things like that so it's very possible or skin grafts and things that they're yeah, doing that with skin yeah. grafts of burn victims and yeah. so it's possible that in the process of 3d printing there's something etching because if you're doing this if you're going like this there's something etching because all that work to develop a serial number for all these millions of, like that's a lot of fucking work it would be e- i mean of course we don't know what they could do they could do what you guys suggested but it with 3D printing, there's five seconds where it goes, oh, three, six, two, two, you whatever, you know. Yeah, that's totally true. No, I mean, when it comes to the logistics and the ease of it, what you're saying is correct. If you 3D printed something biological, then yeah, adding a serial number to that particular section of bone as you're 3D printing it would be relatively easy. Um, and I think Westworld's a really good example of something that shows that process. And I think what's interesting about Westworld as well is that um, there is an evolution of their robots as you go through the show. So you see Ford with his older models that are kind of creaky and make mechanical noises. You see Dolores having mechanical insides in one episode when she's stabbed. But then you also see her later, which makes you realize that there's a different timeline where she's blood and guts and completely biological on the inside. So, yeah, some combination of all these different current technologies and imagined science fiction technologies are totally possible. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I think we all love this ambiguity. So it's difficult when we do something like this, where we're trying to like nail something down because we're really not sure. Yeah. I'm still going to fucking nail this, Dan. Don't you say <laughs> we're moving on yet? Cause I, I have something, I have a thought on this. Okay. But so th- those are yeah. my thoughts. I think, I think sort of, uh, the thought that I hadn't had until recently was that the fact that Chu is working with eyeballs does not necessarily mean that those are parts that are being manufactured or parts that are being assembled for into sure. another body. So I, I, I like that ambiguity where I'm like, well, maybe that's just his lab and maybe he's just, again, either working on three biological 3d printing or genetically engineering different eyes with different features or serial numbers or whatever. But it doesn't necessarily imply that it's something he's going to deliver that then is going to get added. Same way as Sebastian, who the fact that he works on hands is only in like either a deleted scene or alternate scene. I can't remember. It's not in the canonical actual film, um, which is why we've gotten into discussions before with um, with Rick and other people online about what was Sebastian's specialty, right? And one of the cool ideas that I don't think is the case because, again, at some point it was told that he was a hand engineer, but the thought that because he had Methuselah syndrome, they somehow um, took part of his genetics and part of his disease, and that is what helped make the four-year lifespan for replicants. I personally don't believe... like progeria. Right. I personally don't believe that theory, but I think that it's really cool and some really cool extrapolation from the films. But anyways... 
I've never heard somebody say Methuselah before. I gotta say, <laughs> I've always said Methuselah. Maybe it's oh, Italian maybe I'm saying it wrong. Yeah, yeah. But it's um, Methuselah in Italian, so yeah. Methuselah. What, uh, what can I I'm making? Yeah, a it pasta. could be anything. He lived say? a long time in 900 <laughs> years in the Bible. Um, so, so I think so. Chew is interesting in my interpretation of the film, which is maybe wrong because I haven't seen 2019 in probably a year now. So maybe I'm forgetting something. But I always think of his lab as basically a black market outlet I, I think of him as i think a lot of the engineers and you see this in the comics too a lot of the tyrell engineers are operating sort of side jobs where they're you know helping you know replicants who want to get a new identity or, or they're you know selling body parts to people who need transplants and things so i think a lot of the engineers who have the skill set to already genetically grow or engineer these organs um you know had a side job so so to me when they go to chew he's ba the reason why he's in this like underground refrigerator thing in the middle of a restaurant district i think it's basically like a, a front it's like a it's like his side his side gig um that being said though i think uh an another thing about the whole um being born in a in a womb aspect i think goes to 2049 which i don't want to get too far into again because we are going to be coming back to 2049 but Wallace has this whole speech about, you know, the salted plane, the space between the stars. And he talks specifically about how it's Tyrell's last great secret, right? Like the thing that, that Tyrell did that he hasn't figured out yet. And if you think about it, like that, basically Wallace has gotten replicant evolution all the way as far as it can possibly go in terms of being malleable, controllable, strong humanoid creatures that you can own, basically, which is what these people want. They want beautiful slave labor basically right but he hasn't cracked the final thing which is how can they make themselves right which i think suggests to me that like they make them by birthing them basically that they're grown in a lab somewhere that they are birthed um and that like the next step to get it to the nexus 10 or whatever would be after that phase would be basically having them birth themselves having them actually the, the fucking again would be the, the key component there because they would be able to keep it going <laughs> without having to be manufactured fucking. i'm all about the fucking tonight but to, but i think it's so fascinating because that really or in my at least my interpretation which is not by no means definitive because it's not written down anywhere and i don't know anything but in my interpretation of it basically the only thing separating us is that we are created by people who are at least attracted to each other, if not in love, hopefully in love, you know, having sex and creating Yo, somebody. Yo, the difference is we be fucking. <laughs> <laughs> the difference is basically the fucking. Whereas the replicants, in my interpretation again, are the same in every single way, except they are just built um, by that process. Like the, the sort of divine spark of human connection is taken away from them at the very beginning. Oh, and also, instead of a womb from a woman, there is some type of tube. And they're growing. Yeah, right, yeah, too. exactly. Yeah, right. That, that's uh, I mean, yeah, because obviously right. in 2049, they go they they go to length to say you were not born, mm -hmm. you were made, um, and that is a very big distinction. That's true. Yeah, um, and obviously the idea of soul or no soul or whatever, um, which I think I know we'll eventually get to. Additionally, but that that the personality thing to me, like if you what you're saying is obviously plausible their personality of course if you're going to have a an embryo and a sperm and you're going to grow these things or whatever they, they're making embryos by the thousands and they're growing them and they've all been genetically engineered okay that's a human um for me the evidence put before us tells me that that's not how they're made um they're made a little they're and i don't know we don't we don't really officially know. I mean, um, even the, again, in 2049, the way that the newborn one falls down, there's just something about that that doesn't tell me that she came out of any womb. 
Um, she was plucked from a production line, put in the whatever, and then psh, thrown in. And then, you know, loves saying, the, the, would you like to see the new models? Um, I don't know. But if they, if it's true, if they ever answer that question, that replicants are grown in a womb and, okay, they're human, they're subject to everything that we are, um, and the atrocity in that situation is they are human and you've chosen to treat them like subservient pieces of garbage. That's That would be the atrocity. Not to say that it would be okay if they're not um, made that way, but if th- it changes the game if they're making these things via printed parts, via grown parts, put together or whatever they're doing. It just, it, it changes the game. And then ownership and who owns these things. And hmm. should you be making something like, like at the same time though, I, I think of a gorilla or a silverback, which I've seen many times in, in um, zoos and I've seen them behind the glass. And I remember always, I remember locking eyes with one at one point and I remember feeling horrified because it's behind glass. Like, what the fuck is this thing doing? Did here? you ever look a fucking this, whale in the eye, like in the like a beluga whale at, a, at an aquarium? Never, oh, I've seen oh, a beluga whale. Oh, God. And yeah. It's like, that's but a they fucking seem a lo- person in the water. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There's, there's sentience. There's yeah. some type of, I'm not saying human sentience, but there's something else. And when I, I remember seeing this silverback, this big, huge male, I mean, you know, you've seen those things. They're they're gargantuan sitting there and he was looking at me and I couldn't look at him anymore because I knew what was staring at me was not, was more like me than it was like my dog or, you know what I mean? Um, so, so there's this really murky, the, the, the moral question with these things is to me as, as important as what are they, who are they, how are they made? And then why are they made? And then can you rightfully own a replicant? If you're manufacturing it, I guess so. Um, But then you have, I mean, but they're also like Frankenstein. And Frankenstein, besides his physical deformity, is also this atrocity as well, where he was much like replicants, put together from different parts. Right. and then he was a killer, and he was really strong, and he had all these crazy things. There's just so much in play But before here. that, though, before he was a killer and really strong and all these crazy things, right, he was a curious child listening to conversations on the other side of a wall, right? So like, yeah. so there's this interesting – I think Frankenstein – I don't know why, we, I don't think we've ever even talked about Frankenstein on this show. We have. But there's a lot of parallels. We have? Okay, good. Yeah. I want to go back to something Jamie said. You seem to be putting a lot of importance on – the how they're created whether they're manufactured or not etc cetera, etc cetera. i kind of want to ask since we're getting into the philosophy and into what makes a human a little bit more but isn't the end result more important than where they come from meaning that if you end up with a sentient being who has i guess agency is relative because there are laws and other things and ownership that determine that as well but in terms of personal agency they they do and they develop feelings, et cetera. Even these more prim, not primitive, but the, the Nexus sixes we see before Rachel who don't have memory implants, they do develop their own emotional responses over time. Right. And they have, they have, they build memories, their own memories, and they have 
nostalgia, right? They collect pictures. And so I, I don't know. It, does it matter whether they were born, whether they were manufactured, whether they were genetically engineered in a tube or whatever? I don't think here's why it would matter to me. It doesn't matter. Like, should I treat them with respect and dignity? Absolutely. Um, should they be on earth? No fucking way. No. Should they like, should they be among other people um, with the kind of abilities that they have that, and they're this essentially this child and you know what children do. Children can be monstrous. Children can be, children can be, I mean, also children can be amazing and mostly wonderful, but I'm just saying all of that, all of that um, impulse of a child in a full grown adult with the strength of a, of a, of a gorilla or, or more, that's dangerous. That's really dangerous. And so because I've been engaging, like, what are they? How are they made? I've, I've been like, and I've, I know we've talked about like comparing them to immigrants and comparing them to slaves. And I think all of those, those, those things are relevant, but what's changed that game for me is that these aren't just other humans who live different ways. These are superhumans. These are people with, these are essentially, they have the, the qualities of superheroes. They can run through walls. They can jump through walls. They can do, they can pick up cars. They can do all of these crazy things. Those aren't people you want mixed in with regular pop the population that's volatile that is fucking volatile and humans are volatile enough on our own you know i mean we have so many problems so that's sort of where i'm and it's not to say that oh fuck them or i don't give a shit about replicants um i just feel like the what they are has become far more complicated to me um it's not just a question of sentience and soul and uh those heartfelt but legitimate things that we've discussed now i'm into the realm of like well maybe they were right to be off world maybe they're you know look at what look at what even though we love roy batty roy batty was dangerous he was fucking dangerous but um he wasn't i would not put my children around roy batty i would not put my children around zora i just wouldn't um and so for me, the conversation has moved past the sentimentality of it. I'm into the reality of this environment where you're creating these things that are stronger than you, that are better than you, that are faster than you, that are that could kill you in their impulse because they don't know anymore. And what, how that changes the world that we would live in or, and the world that they live in there. So I'm engaging them in a whole new way and I'm not feeling as, I'm not feeling as, uh, I'm feeling less. You fucking hate sympathetic for them. <laughs> I fucking hate replicants. No, I'm just, I'm just engaging them differently. And you know, do you know, what, honestly, do you know what's informing this a little bit are us, how the world that we live in seeing us act in the ways that we do the world that we're living in right now, all the stuff that's that's transpiring, um, seeing how awful we can be. Um, and then I'm thinking, okay, then we decide to make these things um, in our own imperfection 
that are also imperfect, but way stronger and how dangerous that is. See, but um, So a lot of what I'm saying is sort of informed by this world that we're living in right now that is just shitty with shitty people in it. So I, 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 I'm losing my sympathy. There was an escape from the off-world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants, three male, three female. They slaughtered 23 people and jumped a shuttle. An aerial patrol spotted the ship off the coast. No crew, no sight of them. Three nights ago, they tried to break into Tyrell Corporation. Two of them got fried running through an electrical field. We lost the others. On the possibility they might try to infiltrate as employees, I had Holden go over and run Voight comp tests and the new workers. Looks like he got himself one. So you look down and you see a tortoise. It's crawling towards you. A tortoise? That's Leon. The ammunition loader on intergalactic run. He can lift 400 pound atomic loads all day and night. The only way you can hurt him is to kill him. Man, you brought up a lot of deep shit right there. <laughs> so, I did not ever see this episode going in this direction. But, okay, I'm going to bring it back to a couple of things you mentioned. Uh, okay. Animals and dangerously strong humans that are in a shitty situation. And what that makes me think of is that what you're talking about and these things we've subjected other living creatures to is something that we've been doing forever. And so this science fiction future extrapolation of what we're doing with replicants is only the natural evolution of what we've always done. So you're talking about mm -hmm. gorillas in zoos and stuff, right? And that's something we've been doing for a while. Now, the better zoos, like the Oakland Zoo is actually a really good example. They tend to be a rehabilitative sort of rescue type zoo as opposed to a zoo that like goes and catches animals in their native land and brings them back. Um, mm -hmm. And I get that in your story about the gorilla, what you're empathizing with is something that is genetically a lot closer to you than a dog or a cow or, or whatever. Um, but this is all a matter of perspective, right? I've had this conversation a lot as I've grown to learn more about hunting and sort of like being a meat eater and how, you know, and we don't have time to get into a whole conversation about that, but briefly, I've realized that a lot of our empathy for certain animals and animals that we feel it isn't right to hunt or kill is like purely emotional. So for example, we find it wrong to hunt whales, but I, and I'm talking about exclude um, endangered species. I'm talking about species that are doing well and thriving and that ha have a viable population, et cetera. And so we go to other cultures like the Japanese and tell them, well, hunting whales is bad and you shouldn't be doing this. And again, I'm excluding endangered species. And I think the average Japanese person, I don't speak for them, but I would, in, in my imagination, I would say a very, very uh, genuine rebuttal to an American especially would be, well, pigs are super smart and you keep pigs in atrocious Holocaust-like conditions, Right. But pigs are just as intelligent as dogs, if not more. If you and pigs are actually one of the most closely human genetic genomes in the entire right. animal kingdom. They're extremely closely if related. If you to talk us. to people who have raised cows on a farm, steer, they'll tell you all about how they have different personalities. They respond to their names. Like they're much more intelligent than we give them credit for just looking at them in the field. Yet we have made a decision that these are inferior life forms that we eat. 
And therefore, for the most part, it's okay to treat them however the hell we want. Now, of course, there are different philosophies, different organizations. Um, you can support sustainable pasture farmed animals. If even if you're a meat eater, you can choose to be a vegan or a vegetarian and not participate in the meat industry. You can only hunt and, you know, only work with wild animals, etc. But these are all things that are very much a matter of perspective. When you started talking about replicants being dangerous because of their strength and intelligence and also the fact that we're putting them in a shitty situation. So generally speaking, they're going to, unless we somehow suppress it, they're going to be prone to rebellion. I mean, my mind right away went directly to American slavery. When you were saying, well, these things are stronger than us and they're dangerous and uh, I wouldn't, you know, we, we wouldn't necessarily put our children around like. That's totally a valid argument for slaves, for example. African slaves, three, you know, 200 years ago in the U.S. were people who we essentially bred to be physically really strong and work in the fields and had to be, for the most part, whether you treated them well or not, under armed guard and you had to watch your family around them because being kidnapped and violated and raped and killed and brutalized those slaves were a danger to your family under certain conditions, right? They could take your kids away, run off, escape, you know, uh, extract vengeance or whatever the case may be. So, well, that was their fear of that happening. Well, I'm sure it happened as well. Like if I was a slave, I'd be doing everything I could to get the hell out of there, kill whoever I needed to, right? Like find freedom, escape. I'm just saying these my point is that whether we're talking about replicants, whether we're talking about slavery, whether we're talking about the way we um, raise animals or hunt animals or all of that, the way we empathize with other living things, this is a super old human problem, right? How, however, here's the, main, here's the main difference between that argument. African slaves were born from women. They were, they were raised. They had memories. They had experiences. Even in shitty circumstances where many of them were torn from their mothers, sold off, horrible things happening, they still had a very human experience in many ways. Even in the even in the tragedy, there was there was conditioning. There was there was a lot of things that um, shaped their environment. So, if you're talking about a replicant, let's just say, for instance, let's just pick a version. Let's just in this instance pick a way that they're made. Let's just so. Let's just take my idea that that they're manufactured. So all their parts are put together and maybe they're, and then maybe when their parts are put together, maybe there's a 3D printing going on or whatever. Okay, it's done. Next, or let's done. So let's move this body over here. Someone wake that thing up. They wake it up. However they wake it up. I don't know how you would even give biological mass um, a personality or life. I don't know. You can have life grow, but it doesn't mean it has a personality. Whatever. Um, that's very different. That's a very different set of responsibilities than, say, an African slave. Like that is, that's a biological weapon right there. And it's not to say that you're also responsible for their their humanity, um, because they are they are essentially or ostensibly human. Um, but it's just a whole different realm. These are things that are grown and made in a lab as opposed to even if they're grown in a womb in a lab, it's all in a lab. It's all by technicians. Um, whereas dogs and cats and cows and gorillas and 
you know, everything else, all of the problems that you were discussing, they have very earthbound experiences. They don't have the kinds of experiences that a replicant would, where they're like, okay, send that, even if they're born in their race, send them on, put them in that, in that big box. And then we're, they're, we're shipping them to the Tannhauser gate or wherever. But, That's, but it, many it, slaves it, it become, went through exactly that experience. Yeah, but they didn't, but they're still, they were still born from women and raised by women. They still have that. They were still born from mothers. Even because also, if you're familiar with the middle passage, which I am, um, most of the time, these slaves were captured as adults um, by the Span the Spanish and all the different types of, you know, Westernized cultures that, um, captured and sold slaves. Yes. Obviously there were slaves born and they were bred, but ideally you would want an adult slave, an adult. So these things, they weren't grown in labs. They were born from women. They're just, to me, I think our, the, the psychology around it, I can see what you're but, saying. And I think you're making a point, but the, the nature of how that psychology happens from a replicant and a slave are t- two vastly different things. Like I think one, if, if it's true and they have to somehow give this thing life and it's like Frankenstein, that's dangerous. That's fucking dangerous. And I, I would not say that about a slave. Like, Oh my God, that black man's dangerous. I, I, I just, it's very different than some type of, hulky, you know, Sapper Morton thing grown in a lab awoken when it's maybe by a lot or um, like its body says it's 35 years old, but its mind is actually a newborn. That's just, those are two separate things to me. They don't even, they're not even in the same plane. One is like, stop treating that person that way. That's black. The other for me is, you better figure out what the fuck you're going to do with this thing because it could kill you because it doesn't know what it's doing. Okay. If you, okay, take away the adult African that you are plucking out of a village who has memories and a family and a life that you're now extracting him from. So take away that example. Let's say we move into the 1800s, early 1800s, late 1700s. I'm talking about uh, a plantation with um, breeding slaves that you've had on your property, not you, but a person has had on their property, right? And is treating them however they're treating them. Obviously, the treatment of these slaves ran the gamut, but whatever. Nonetheless, you are keeping these people, quote unquote, because a lot of these people didn't really consider them people, right? They're chattel, they're, they're property, right? They're slaves. And you're preventing them from reading. You're forcing them to breed sometimes, right? You're making them do this work. I don't, so, I mean, it, when you're comparing that to a organized process of replicants, um, even if you move more into minor Patrick's idea where you're not like turning on a light switch, right? But they're like, they're somehow being born in a way, in their own way, not through a womb, not through a mother, but they are coming to life and have a genetic life of their own. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess the reason I have contention and the reason I'm arguing with you is because I don't know that in this science fiction kind of case that the source of their life makes a difference to me. Like in the end, 
they're a human. They're a- personally on a personal level. I agree with you. Like I agree that when it comes to you and me and how we view their life, that's important. How we how we view the the whether wherever that spark of their soul or sentience have come from is is irrelevant in some way. How are we treating them? That's right. important. I mean- Mike, but my contention is beyond that. Let's just say Patrick you have a lab and you end up by accident growing this full, you just grow this full grown human, whatever. It's ridiculous. You grow this full bone human, but you know that it's way stronger and it can be deadly. Um, and it's has no emotional, um, it has no emotional maturity whatsoever. It's like a baby. It's impulsive. It wants to eat and it might kill if it wants to eat because you know, or, or and it might need things. But if you just let that thing go, people would be like, where did this thing come from? Where is this thing? Oh, you made this thing? Why is it out here? It's just killed two people. What what are you do? So that's I'm I'm coming at this from a different angle. I'm not coming at at, at it from a I, I just think the idea of replicants is really morally ambiguous. Well, certainly it appears that we did not create replicants to start an experiment of a village of re- happy replicants to see like, Oh, let's see what kind of society they build. We, we created mm-hmm. slaves. Like it is the morally it's the same output that we created when we had American slavery. Again, the, the circumstances are different, but you know, imagine this escaped slave that doesn't know how to read and is super strong and is super fucking pissed because it's been treated like shit its entire life and it escapes a farm and goes to Canada, like a place where there are no slaves or maybe they've never seen, I'm fictionalizing here, but let's say they've never seen an African, right? And this like super buff, super pissed uh, African shows up who can't, I don't know. I want to tread into the wrong uh, words here. I'm not trying to like be insensitive to race or anything like that. I'm, I'm just trying to find a, I'm, I'm trying to draw a moral equivalency between something that's actually happened with humans that we've done and this sort of science fiction process. But I think for me, the problem is with that, with that idea, they're not made the same way. So I, I don't even, I, I, I wouldn't even, for me, there is no equivalence. There at, Africans weren't, they're just another race of humans that people decided, oh, hey, look, they're different and they're subservient. Let's sell them. Let's let, let's have them build our societies. Great. Whereas opposed to, no, let's let's make these things that look like And us then let's sell them and have them lab. build our societies and treat them like shit. Yeah, but it's the same treatment. Yeah, but it's, it, it isn't though. I mean, I think the treatment could be similar, but th- these the emotional maturity of a replicant is very different than the emotional, the emotional maturity of a 27 year old man from Africa. They're just different. You can't equate the two. What the, it was clear, like with Roy Batty and Pris, their understandings, they were very childlike, very um, unaware, very naive. I also very deadly. Sure. Um, that's a, that's a, that's a cocktail right there for something you don't want in society. And for, I can't say that about Africans. And to be frank, if you did not you, but in general say that about Africans, you'd be like, uh, you might want to check your racism no, there, what I, that you don't, you know, but, but it's not, I'm not saying that about you. I'm no, just, no, no. Well, let me clarify. I'm not saying that that's inherent to 
to slaves or to Africans. I'm saying because of the way we kept them and because of our treatment, their, in some cases, in a lot of cases, their emotional and personal development was artificially stunted by us. With replicants, we did it as a matter of genetic engineering in this case. With African slaves, we did it for our own purposes by the way that we kept them, by the way we prevented them from reading. And there's obviously exceptions and obviously, you know, slaves that, you know, read the Bible, learned to read, went on to, you know, become professionals, et cetera, and be freed. You know, there's a lot of history there and there's a big spectrum. But um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with it. It is it is an interesting parallel and it's interesting the, the emotional connection that we have with these people, Patrick, you've been pretty quiet. You want to wade into you, you want to wade into these controversial waters with us? Yeah, there's a lot of minds in this minefield. <laughs> I don't even want to go anywhere near right now. Um, but I, I think uh, I would go back to something you said earlier, Dan, which is that it's really a matter of perspective because the perspective of a replicant, I think, especially one with implanted memories and with no idea that it is what it is, um, I, I don't think would be that dissimilar from any human born in any circumstance, slavery or otherwise. I would agree with you there, and, and I think that's a real tragedy. And and I, I also think a lot about, you know, how the the end of, so it's already happened with Staline, but the end goal of, you know, of, of Neander Wallace, right, is to have them breed themselves, essentially. And at what, like, how the fuck is that still a manufactured replicant organism that we have any right to control, right? Part of me feels like the reason why replicants were born with those shortened lifespans in the first place in the earlier, earlier models um, is because, like, we can control children, you know, and, and, and we feel less awkward about that. We feel almost like that's sort of our job. Uh, I, I will say this, that as a parent, I don't at all feel that way. I don't, I don't, you know, I, but I know a lot of parents who like hit their kids and think that they need to keep their kids in line and that they need to run this really, you know, militaristic sort of a household where there's things you do and things you don't do, which I don't think is necessarily the great way to raise a kid. But I think that, um, it, we're more comfortable with the notion that we can control a child as opposed to the notion that we can control an adult, but a child doesn't have a six foot four frame and, you know, a, and a lot of lean muscle mass. Right. So we basically engineered strong children. And, and I think that that's sort of uh, what, yeah, I, I also think a, a while ago, Jamie, you were talking about, you know, how we don't want them on world and things like that. Cause they're dangerous. It's important to remember that they're not supposed to be on world, right? Like they were they're bred specifically illegal. for off world labor. Absolutely. Yeah, so like, but I, that I was, was just, that was the problem, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that's, that's important. Like this was not supposed to happen. And, and I, but also, I think it goes back to then why did we make them look so much like us? And, and I think the reason yeah. they look so much like us is because the way they're manufactured, which I think is basically they're born out of genetic material from people. But I, I, this is a fascinating conversation. I think, I think we're teed up pretty well for a part two. Yeah, I agree. If you guys feel similarly. Yeah, totally. And I think 2049 delves a lot into this. I think the topic of slavery is sort of brought up there as well and the manufacturing process we learn more about and there's a 30-year evolution there so yeah i think this goes really nicely into 2049 shakes me too i get them bad <clears throat> part of the business I'm not in the business. I am the business. 
do it. Ooh, man. <laughs> that was a hell of a discussion. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs> thanks, guys. And we'll be back with like a part two as we dive into 2049. Um, before we leave, Patrick, do you want to talk about um, Patreon? Yes, I would love to talk about Patreon. Uh, if you would like to join, we would love to have you. We're putting up frame rates like nobody's business right now, as well as other products for you. You can join at per, at bladerunnerpodcast.com. Sorry, it's getting late here on the East Coast. At bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Uh, or you can search us on Patreon. There are perks available, and you will see them all when you go there. Uh, we're actually in the process, as of this recording, of revamping our Patreon page, too, on our website. So check it out if you haven't yet. Again, it's bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. And uh, we will be extending this conversation into our group, Feels of Calantha, which is on Facebook. Also, feel free. We'll make a post on Instagram, um, and you can comment on that as well yeah. and engage us there. Yeah, we're really curious um, to hear all you guys' theories and opinions on oh, yeah. rep against um, manufacturing. And as it's funny because as we... Now I'm thinking, oh my God, what do people think? Like, what the fuck happened to Jamie? He hates him. He loved him. You know, I, I just, I think... Yo, Jamie I, I fucking think, hates I'm just glad. I'm no, just no. glad we're not three white guys on this show. I'm like, we're gonna get shot. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like one of those things where I think what's really affecting me more about my opinions with everything is just the world that we're living in right now, and it's kind of closing in on you. So you, I, I, you, things I'm interpreting things I've differently than I used to interpret them, and that'll probably change again. Um, and it's odd for me to have this opinion, I, but it's also fluid too. I, I'm I'm open. I just stopped seeing them as human. I don't see them as human anymore. Man, um, mind blowing. Which I think is crazy. It's a big um, deal, but but art is supposed to do that. It's supposed to make you recontextualize yourself based on the world you live in, you know. And yeah, we're dealing yeah. with one of the great works of poetry on film, you know, one yeah. of the great ambiguous things uh, that has ever been created by Western civilization. I would argue. I think Blade Runner is is that. And and, and, the and I hope a better that, one. and i hope that our opinions always i hope that our viewpoints always change on this i hope that for the rest of our lives we flip flop back and forth because we're supposed to by design we're supposed to be confused about this you know we always talk about science fiction being the mirror we hold up to ourselves look at fucking replicants they are a perfect mirror that we're holding up to ourselves because they look almost indecipherable from us right when we look at replicants we see ourselves in very interesting ways both in how we're similar and how we're different and the more this conversation goes on, the deeper we're going to get into that. Yeah. I think and so. what we're seeing in as a society now is a very dark reflection. Yeah. Exactly. And I think I'm seeing that in these ideas that have been presented in these movies. I'm not seeing them as this idyllic, oh, you know, it's they're darker for me now mm-hmm. because we're darker or whatever. So you fucking anyways, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon. Okay, thanks, guys. find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please visit us on our website at www.perfectorganism.com. Shoulder of Orion is available for listen or download through Apple iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. If you'd like to join in the discussion, please join our official Facebook discussion group, Fields of Calantha, a Blade Runner discussion group. <laughs>